God, we thank you. We thank you that you do never leave the one behind. God, we thank you that you came so that we can have life and life in all its fullness. God, we thank you that you showed your extraordinary love for us, that you looked at each one of us separately and thought that we were worth dying for. And God, we thank you for the incredible difference that that makes in our life today and every day. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this beautiful day that you've created for us, full of opportunities to love you back and serve you. And God, we thank you that you loved us first and that you moved towards us first and that that love that you have for us makes everything else possible. God, we thank you for everything that you've ever done for us and everything that you are in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Good morning and welcome to church this morning. Um, We have a tiny crew here, but literally how amazing is our worship team this morning? Uh, We are so blessed um, to be able to gather together in this tiny team and to um, provide a really uh, significant and valuable opportunity for you guys to gather where you are as well um, and worship our precious God. Uh, While I'm talking to you, you can be maybe filling out a, um, or actually you can't, but anyway, soon I will put up a card that you can fill out, a connect card or um, a giving card, um, and I'll put those up when I'm finished doing this. Um, Anyway, you can be chatting to each other in the online platform that you're on, and uh, make sure that you also check in to our Church Centre app and choose the online service when you check into that this morning. That'll really help us to know who was watching um, and who was able to join us today. Uh, So a couple of things that we need to talk about. So uh, we are planning to have communion next Sunday. Uh, We're not sure whether we will be able to gather in the building and if we are able to gather, then how many will be able to come. So um, just a bit of a heads up, if we are uh, gathering online again, then uh, make sure that you have something ready to um, take communion together. Um, But we will obviously let you know uh, what's happening during the week when we know. Um, But anyway, make sure that you're ready for communion next week however that is going to look for us all. Also on August the 1st, Sunday August the 1st, so in a couple of weeks time um, we are planning a takeover service so this is our generation's, oh there's a little woo in the house, Um, there's a, a generation's takeover so our kids ministry and our youth team are taking over the service. So it will be a very different service for sure and it'll be lots of fun um, and it'll be very, um, yeah, I don't think we'll be sitting a lot in pews. Um, So obviously those plans are only going to kind of come to fruition if we're allowed to gather in a a reasonable number on on the 1st of August. So um, you can have that little situation in your prayers as well. But anyway, it's all planned and it's all going to hopefully come together on that Sunday. So be aware of that. Um, I was challenged this morning, I was uh, reading in Psalm 118 and it says this in verse 24, it says, this is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And there's lots of things that um, would perhaps stop us being particularly glad today because we're not allowed to gather and we're not allowed to do the things that uh, that we perhaps want to do. But um, 
we can still uh, we can still gather in as God's family uh, through technology, and and that's fantastic too. And um, there's a song that I've been listening to, which echoes that Psalm 18, uh, 118, and it, it, the the chorus goes a bit like this: um, On this good day, it is a gift from you. The world is turning in its place because you made it too. And that really um, speaks to me. It kind of kind of fills up my uh, faith again that everything um, is because God made it to. Um, everything is happening because God made it to. And, and we can get so distracted by the other things, the negative things, um, the things that we wish would be different. And, and our feelings can kind of come into it too. Um, and I'd just like to say to you that oftentimes our feelings are actually irrelevant when we think that um, that God has put the world in its place and he's making it turn because he made it to. And uh, he can still work through all of the situations that we're going through in our life. He can work through this lockdown. Um, I understand it's very difficult for some people, but God can still work and um, Restrictions can shut us down and can shut us out of our churches temporarily, but it will not stop the message of God going forward. It just won't. Only if we're paralysed will that will that happen. If we're paralysed by our, our feelings about the situation, then we will stop God's message going forward. But but God's message will keep going um, if we keep going too. If we keep our eyes firmly fixed on him, if we believe that the world is turning in its place because he made it to and that he can still work out his plans through this situation as well. So I just challenge you with that this morning. Um, also, we have some church family uh, prayers that we can uh, be praying. So young Nathan is back in Melbourne unexpectedly um, things started to go wrong with uh, some of uh, the procedures that he had done so he's been back in Melbourne again for a few days and it's been a very frustrating time for him and for Anna um, and it looks like he will probably stay there now until a week on Monday when his chemo starts again so you can be praying for them um, it's a very frustrating time and, um, yeah, it can, they can feel a bit low because things are not going as well as they'd hoped. A um, bit of brighter news, young, young Rod Frasca is coming home today um, and he'll be home and resting and uh, recovering uh, from everything that he's been through. So that's, that's some really exciting family news. So let's join together as God's family uh, I just love the picture that I have in my mind that that our church family is spread at the moment throughout Gippsland. We are in Yarram, we're in Locksport, we're in sort of nearly uh, Terralgan, we're in Stratford, we're everywhere. And people are in their homes and we're praying and we're worshipping God and uh, we're just spread out and having a real influence where we are. So let's pray together um, with that picture in mind that we have this kind of thin spread out layer of us all over Kippsland, praying to the God that can change things. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the God of everything, that you created everything, that you are the, the uncreated God who created everything. God, we thank you that you are that God that we serve this morning and every day of our lives. And God, we thank you that you are that God the creator God, who reaches down and touches each one of us individually. God, we thank you for the incredible love that you have for us, which, which made you move towards us, which made you sacrifice everything that you had for us. 
God, we just thank you for that love. I pray, God, that this morning that you give us a real sense of your love and your peace. And God, as we gather together in your family through through technology, God, we, we just pray uh, that we will be having an influence in our community, that, um, that the eternal perspective that we have allows us to um, put our feelings aside about situations and that allows us to minister to people around us, that we can have a, a really positive influence in your name, in the people in our sphere of influence in the people in our community that we are close to and God we we thank you that your message will go forward no matter what. God I pray that we're not um, paralyzed by situations that um, that are not as we would want them to be but God that we keep our eyes on your eternal perspective and God we know that our eternities are safe with you and it is our privilege to pass that message on to as many people as we can around us. God, we pray for Nathan today and for Anna in Melbourne. Uh, God, we know that you know everything about that situation and uh, God, that you have gone before them, that you've prepared a way uh, and that you have their back as well. God, we know that you are in this situation, that they, that they face nothing on their own. And God, we thank you for the comfort that that will bring to them. God, we pray for your continued healing in that little boy's body. God, that you can uh, bring an amazing testimony out of this situation. God, we know that you love Nathan and Anna and Peter and James and that you hold them in your hand this morning. And God, we thank you for Rod and uh, for the journey uh, that you have brought him through. God, we thank you that he is coming home and that he will be able to have a great time at home recovering with family and friends uh, to support him. And God, we just thank you for that. God, we thank you that you are the Lord of our life as well as um, our Saviour for all eternity. And God, we thank you that, that you walk through every single day and every single situation with us. And God, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to have uh, a little word now from um, Dale Stevenson about the BDC that we are involved with. So everybody, watch your screens. You're watching your screens already, so it's all good. Hey everybody, it's Sal Baptist Church. My name is Dale Stevenson. I'm the senior pastor at Crossway Baptist Church. Great to be with you right now. And I'm here to say congratulations to you because under the outstanding leadership of your senior pastor, Brad, your church has received a full scholarship to a two-year process called Building a Discipling Culture. Now, you may never ever have heard of Building a Discipling Culture. It's something that we're actually working together with your pastor and just a small guiding coalition that have been handpicked. We meet with them on a fortnightly basis. We look afresh at the words, the ways, and the works of Jesus. We need to do this because Australian Christianity is in its seventh decade of decline by all measures. We just can't keep going in this way. Now, about a decade ago here at Crossway, we said, how do we make a disciple of Jesus? We looked at global best practices and we started to align ourselves more to what we saw Jesus saying and doing. At that point, we saw the number of people who put their trust in Jesus jump to 10 times the national average. You might not know it, but in Australia, if 100 Christians show up and worship on a weekend, it takes a full year to see one person put their trust in Jesus for the first time. That's the national average. 
Now we've jumped to 10 times that rate. And when it first happened, we thought, wow, we had a good year. But then it happened again and again. We're in our ninth or 10th year now. And God really put it on our hearts. You can't keep this to yourself. Hence, building a discipling culture was born. Now, part of the full scholarship for your church is an agreement that once a year for the two years that you participate, that an opportunity to cast vision to your congregation would take place. So this is it for this year. We're giving Christians the opportunity to buy into the process, to actually effectively pay it forward so that other churches can be blessed as well. So if it's in your heart, if you're feeling generous, even in these tough times, go to bdc.org.au forward slash give. There's a place there where you can bless another church. We'd even empower your church to be able to nominate which church you're wanting to bless. Thank you for allowing me to share with you today. God bless you. May God prosper the work of your hands. Awesome. Good morning. Great to have you with us this morning. Um, And great to have that message from Dale. And I'll I'll talk a little bit about that um, in a moment. Um, We've only got five people here on site, so you may have recognised me from the piano player earlier. Um, We're very desperate um, to stretch as far as we can. And so we've got people doing as much as they can. uh, And we're praying that next week we'll be able to meet uh, face-to-face in some capacity um, so as you just would have heard in that video, um, our church, Sail Baptist, has been on a, a journey with building a discipling culture, and, and you may have heard about this, or you may not have heard about this, and that's totally fine if you haven't heard about it, because we haven't spoken a, a whole lot about it, um, but the pastoral team has been on this journey for um, probably 18 months now um, of a, a building a discipling culture. We've been to some intensive down in Melbourne um, every sort of six months although over the last year they've been mainly Zoom, uh, and we've had a, a coaching cluster, so a sort of a two-weekly sort of gathering uh, and talking through this idea of what it does it, what does it look like to build a discipling culture um, at church? Uh, what does it look like to build a discipling culture here at Sale Baptist Church? Um, and it's something that's very big on my heart, is that we would not just be a church that gathers and sort of sees people come and has a good time and that we keep everybody in the four walls happy, um, but we really are a church that reaches those that don't yet know Jesus with the gospel uh, in a way that they would come to faith, because that's what ultimately our mission here on earth is is all about. Um, and so the message that I'm going to share this morning is is a message from this, this idea, um, from this building a discipling culture, and I think it's a pivotal sort of thought and um, in our discipleship journey, in, in what we endeavour to do. And so I want to read from Mark chapter 4. Um, and if you want to grab your Bibles and, and flick open to Mark chapter 4, we're going to look at the parable of the, the sower or the parable of the seed, uh, depending on which translation you've got. Um, but the, the other thing that I, I need to mention that Dale mentioned in that video was that it's a, it's a scholarship that we're on. Uh, so basically someone else from another church or from another um, ministry has blessed us to be able to do this program free of charge. It hasn't cost Sail Baptist Church anything apart from our time. Uh, and so we really believe that it's, it's been hugely impactful for us um, as a leadership and, I, I, 
and I think as a church, you probably have felt the effects of it, even if you have never heard about it. Uh, and so we'd encourage you to pray and to, to continue to sow into this ministry because I believe that it is uh, very effective and, and very worthwhile. And so if you can do that, um, the website was bdc.org.au slash give. Uh, and we'll try to remember to put that in the newsletter for next Sunday as well in case you lose track of that. So Mark chapter 4, I'm going to read from verses 13 to 20. It says this, Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. And the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much had been planted. Let's pray one more time. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in this place, in this church, in this body of believers. And <clears throat> excuse me. And God, we thank you for, for what you're um, doing through us, through the, the hands and the, the hearts of people who call South Baptist Church home. From as far away as we are, God, we know that you are at work amongst us, that people are coming to faith, that people are putting their trust in you. And God, we pray that you would challenge us and stir us to, to take this mission of making disciples um, more urgently than maybe we ever have before. And so, God, we pray for this morning's word, and we pray that it would um, be a seed that sits deep in our heart, that we are good soil this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I love about being a dad is the, the ability to put on your dad voice. Um, I don't know if you ever get a dad voice or a mum voice before you have kids, uh, but there's just this switch that happens that... All of a sudden, you can uh, change the tone of your voice and speak in such a way that commands, well, that you try to command authority with, doesn't always work. It's not foolproof. Um, and the, the kids know that, oh, this is serious. This, we better sit up and listen to this and, uh, and take these words seriously as opposed to any other time that we speak. Apparently, as parents, uh, a lot of the other times we speak, they're not serious words. It's only when you have to put your serious voice on that they're taken seriously. I'm not sure why that is. Mate, we would never have done that as children. I never would have done that. I would have taken every word that my parents said um, seriously, but my kids, not so much all the time. I think Jesus is, in, in a sense, maybe not putting on his dad voice, but he is speaking in such a way that hopefully the disciples and hopefully us will sit up and listen and pay attention hopefully to every word that Jesus says, but when he says something like, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? That we could sit up and go, whoa, what's in this that we need to understand? And have we understood it? You may have been in church a long time and um, heard this parable of the sower or the seed where the farmer goes and scatters seed, some finds on the good soil, some on the path, some on the rocky soil. Um, 
And you may have heard this parable hundreds of times. You may have heard it preached on hundreds of times and may, you maybe have a good grasp of it. Um, but it's not often that Jesus would um, unpack his own parable. He says the parable and then in the first uh, few verses of Mark chapter 4, and then in these verses we've just read in verses 13 to 20, Jesus unpacks the parable. He explains the parable. It's not often that that happens. Uh, and in fact, in Mark 4, Mark is um, the presumably, the, the, from what we know, the first gospel that was written. And this is the first parable recorded in the first gospel that was written. Uh, and I think it's, it's important that we take note of what's being said. It's a big thought. If we get this parable, we get them all. But if we miss this, we miss them all. And so, um, Jesus says, the farmer plants, verse 14, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. So remember, this is not the parable. This is Jesus explaining the parable. Um, and in his explanation of the parable, he gives us definitions. And what does he define here for us? He defines what the seed is. He defines the seed as God's word. Uh, we would take that today as uh, God's word, the Bible. Uh, but God's word uh, would have been the words that Jesus was speaking uh, or the, the Old Testament at that time, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others, the good news, the repeated news of, good, of the gospel to others. There's no explanation, there's no definition of who the farmer is. Sometimes when we read this parable, I know I've done this before, we hear the farmer and we think, oh, well, Jesus is the farmer. Obviously, he's the one that takes the, and he is the farmer, but he's not the only farmer. The farmer is anybody who would take God's word uh, and give it to others. There is no mention of who the farmer is. There's only mention of what the seed is. And the seed is God's word. There's no doubt about that. Jesus wouldn't shy away from identifying himself in other situations, saying, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the light, I'm the way. He was quick to identify himself, but he didn't identify himself in this one. And I think this is probably the first point that we need to really grasp, is that you and I, in this parable, can either be the farmer or the soil. We get to be both. At different times, we are the farmer, and at different times, we are the soil. Right now, you might be sitting to this word, listening to this word, and you are the soil. And so you have the option, the ability to decide what kind of soil you're going to be. Are you going to be the good soil that takes the fruit, takes the word, and produces fruit? from it. And the farmer is anyone. You have the ability to be the farmer at any point by bringing the word, by bringing God's word to others. You know, one of our values is ready as we are, growing as we go. God using ordinary people to achieve extraordinary things. We are changing to become more like Jesus. Ready as we are, there is no point at which you become graduated to farmer status. Sorry to all the farmers. Um, obviously, to be a real farmer, you need to know what you're doing. But to be a farmer of God's Word, to be planting the seed of God's Word, you don't have to be anything extraordinary. In fact, I've read this verse a, a few times before, and I'm going to read it again. In Acts 4, verse 13, it says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, 
but they could see that they were ordinary men, no special training in the Scriptures. They had also recognised them as men who had been with Jesus. And so that word, ordinary men, idiotes, um, where we get our word idiot from, um, agramatos, and again, you probably don't need to work out too much about Greek to work out what those words mean. Um, but they were, the point was, they were ordinary people. They didn't have um, higher education. They didn't have Bible college training. They were just ordinary, unschooled men who had been with Jesus, but they preached in such a way that produced fruit. Ordinary people bring the Word of God to others in such a way that hearts are changed, that it takes root in other people's hearts. And so the first challenge for us is that we are all meant to be that sort of farmer. We are all supposed to be people that bring seed to others. Jesus goes on in the parable and he begins to unpack each of the soils. And he says, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come, come at once and take it away. I think for, this can mean a, a few different things, but maybe for, for us in the, in the sense of what it means to be a good farmer, what it means to sow a seed that someone can take and take root of is that it needs to be understood. That the, the God's word is um, to be presented to people in such a way that it makes sense. Um, in Luke's retelling of the parable, he says that the seed is believed, that God's word is taken and believed and it takes root. And so, can we retell God's word? Can we retell God's gospel in such a way that is simple enough for people to understand? That's not to say that we need to water down the message or we need to make it um, a simplistic message. It's a deep message. It's a deep truth but it needs to be retold in such a simple way that people can take it and see others bear fruit from it. Verse 16 and 17, he um, talks about the next soil and he sees the seed that on the, on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. And so here Jesus is really talking about vulnerable people. He's saying that there's some people who hear God's word and they, they're, they're believing it, that they want to take it on board, they, they like what they hear, but there's, there's no ability for them to, to have deep roots. Now, deep roots might, in this sense, mean deep understanding. Um, and, and I think there's, a, there's an element of that, that there's need, there needs to be a depth of understanding but I think also deep roots could also be the, the context in which the, the seed is planted. The seed, God's word, is deep in the soil, and the soil represents people. And so where the soil is deep, it provides space for deep roots. When there is multiple people, when there is a community, when someone finds themselves situated amongst a whole lot of other believers and the soil is deep, when the context is deep, the seed has the ability to take root and survive. If you just got a, a clump of soil and chucked it on the concrete and put your seed in it, it's, it, needs a, it needs a lot of soil for really to, to take root. And I think part of this point is that Christian community is vital for people to take the God's word and, and have it take root deep in their hearts. 
Christian community is vital to seeing the word take root deeply. Those who are connected well with others in faith grow in their faith. You may have heard this analogy. If you take a hot coal out of a hot fire, uh, it will cool down very quickly. It won't stay hot for long. But you keep hot coals all together in a fire, they will stay hot for a very, very long time. I don't know if you've ever had a, a fire going outside and then you think you put it out only to go there the next day and all the coals are still burning hot. You can't touch them because they all keep each other hot. The point is this, that when we take God's word to people, it's, it's so important that we connect them with other Christians as well. That they're, they're, their heart has the ability to take the seed and, and for it to, to go in deep. Um, so that they can understand God's word together with other believers. Verse 18, Jesus goes on and says, The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. We'll come back to that, no fruit is produced. But here, Jesus is basically saying there's, there's no space, it's crowded out. There's no space in their life. There's no space in their heart. Um, worry is, is too big for them. Pleasure is too big for them, their own desires. There's no room for faith. There's too much focus on what might happen in the future or what is happening right now um, or what could be achieved instead of the faith that saves. And so no fruit is produced. And so for us, we get the the options here of what kind of soil do you want to be? And of course, when we hear this message as Christians, as Jesus followers, we say, well, I want to be the good soil. I want to be the soil that produces fruit. I want to be the soil that God's word goes in and takes root deeply and produces fruit. And that's what Jesus explains in this last section. The seed that fell in the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much had been planted. In Luke's retelling, he, see, he says, the seed that uh, fell on good soil represents good, honest, uh, sorry, uh, represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. So, in answer to the question of what soil do you want to be, presuming you want to be good soil, presuming you want to be this soil that takes God's word and produces a harvest, produces fruit. We have to ask ourselves then, what is the huge harvest? What is the fruit that we are supposed to produce? Because if we want to be good soil, then this is the evidence of being good soil, is that we produce fruit, right? What is the harvest? What is the fruit? And when you read this and you hear the word fruit, your mind, if you're a good Bible student, you might go, well, fruit of the Spirit. Go to Galatians, fruit of the Spirit. Fruit in your own life, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, selfless, selfless, selfishness, no, self-control. Um, just testing you, you make sure you know those fruit. But fruit in your own life, you become a better person. God changes you to become more like Jesus. You become more faithful, more loving, more kind, more like Jesus. Is this the huge harvest that Luke is talking about, that Mark is talking about, that Jesus is telling his disciples about? The problem is, if that is the huge harvest, if that is it, if that's the limit of what the huge harvest is, then God's Word has the ability to stop with us. That we have 
that Jesus, um, his word goes deep in our hearts and we just become a better person, we just become more like Jesus and then, then that's it. We, we, we just become a better person and it doesn't go on. But of course we know that God's word is supposed to go in us and through us to others. It doesn't match the rest of the gospel if it's just that. And so I think what we have to see here is that the harvest, the fruit, is actually, for whatever better term, souls. It's actually people coming to faith. John 4, verse 34 to 36, Jesus explained, he says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God, who sent me in from finishing his work. Just pause there for a side note, not part of this message, but nourishment comes from doing God's work. So often we think nourishment comes from rest, and it does. You need to be restful, you need to have your Sabbath, you need to, be, uh, you need to guard your, yourself. And, but also, if you're just resting, you're not going to be fully nourished. Nourishment comes from doing God's Word. When you are active in um, the, the purposes and the plan that God has for you, when you are um, partnering with God, partnering in ministry, you'll feel nourished in a way that you can't get just from resting. Make sure you're serving. Make sure you're doing what God wants you to do. Keep going. Verse 35, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. Don't just rest. Wake up, look around. The fields, I might preach another message one day about that. Um, But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester. And remember, Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, back in Mark 4, if you don't understand this parable, you don't understand any of them. It sort of makes you think about other times that Jesus talks about fruit in his Gospels. Maybe in John 15, for example, where Jesus says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, this brings great glory to my Father. Or further on in John 15, it says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that my Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. I think the challenge for us is that the fruit that Jesus was talking about and the the great commission that Jesus sent us on was this idea of making disciples of seeing people come to faith, not just us becoming better people, which I think is part of, the, part of the parable and part of the story and part of the work of God in us, is that we would produce the fruit of the Spirit, that God would change us, sanctify us, but also that He would use us to bring people into the kingdom. And this is the way that Jesus set up the church. This is why He started just with 12 people. 12 disciples. He discipled them in such a way that they could disciple others, who in turn could disciple others. And that's why 2,000 years later, we are still a part of this movement, still a part of this faith, still a part of this church that Jesus set up with just 12. One of them, as we know, went off the rails. But Jesus just started with a few. Discipled them in such a way that they could disciple a few. It was a multiplication model. It wasn't an addition model. 
Jesus didn't just go, he did big events, he did big gatherings, but his main method of discipleship, of seeing the church grow, was this multiplication model. Now, if you're no good at maths, that's okay, but there's a difference between multiplication and addition. When you add two numbers together, I don't know how to explain, I'm not a maths teacher, but they add together when you multiply them, they multiply. That was good, eh? Everyone here, in the four people have just given me thumbs up like, don't be a teacher, Brad. <laughs> don't quit your day job. But if you had, for, okay, for example, if you had 20 years, one person leading one person to faith, every year one, that person would lead someone to faith. Um, in such a way that that, uh, that person would then lead someone else to faith. So every year, so one person to faith, then there's two people. The second year, two people bring two people to faith. Third year, four to four. You get the picture. Over 20 years, how many? Well, our mathematicians, over a million people in 20 years. That's what you were guessing, wasn't it? As opposed to if you had 20, if you had one person bring, let's say, a thousand people to faith every year, that person was just like a really good evangelist. Thousand people, two thousand, twenty years. 20,000 people, that's not too hard to work out. And the point is, multiplication is such a better model than addition. If we're just waiting for the, the evangelist to turn up and bring multitudes to faith, and, and that does happen, and that's a great move and testimony of God, it's not the best model. The best model is that we are all sent to produce fruit, that we are all sent to be good soil that we take the seed, it takes root in our heart, and we produce a harvest, that we become a farmer and plant the seed in others' hearts that they might produce fruit and that they might plant. And so sowing the seed of God's Word needs to become simple for everyone to do, right? If we are to do this, then we need to know how to do it and what it entails, and simple enough that it can be repeated. And so over the, the course of this building a discipling journey that we've been on, and um, this has been the challenge, is how can we take the Word of God, how can we take this idea of discipleship and make it in a way that's simple for people to take a hold of? And so I want to give you a simple yet I think profound um, idea of what discipleship is and how deep it can be and how life-transforming it can be with two questions. This is how you disciple someone. You ask them these two questions. What is God saying through his word, through prayer times, through other people? What is God saying to you? The revelation, understanding of God's word, taking root, being the soil. What is God saying? And what are you going to do about it? Producing fruit. What is God saying? What are you going to do? This idea of listening and obeying taking God's word, hearing it, obeying what he says to do. Listen and obey. Hear the word, do the word. This is how you can disciple your kids. This is how you can disciple in your small groups. This is how you can disciple one-on-one -on -one with people. This is how you can disciple yourself. This is a simple yet profound way of thinking about discipleship. This doesn't make you saved, by the way, doing this. Somewhere along the way in this discipleship journey, the word will be, trust me for your salvation and the obedience will be faith in Jesus.
Discipleship happens before and after conversion. When did the disciples, if you think through the Gospels, when did the disciples make their decision for Jesus? When did they have that conversion moment? It's not really recorded. It doesn't seem to be the point of what Jesus was doing with the disciples. The point was discipleship. And discipleship happens, and somewhere along the way, that faith commitment is made. And that's a massive step, and that's a massive moment. But we're not just about getting converts. That's not what building a discipling culture is about. Building a discipling culture is about seeing people go on this journey and track in their faith, track in their commitment in such a way that they begin to do that with others. And we see this multiplying effect. And this is how the early church began, with this rapid mobilization, this rapid multiplication movement. We're told in Acts that people were coming to Christ, that they were on this discipleship journey. And in fact, when you think and read the New Testament and you see all the letters, uh, a lot of which Paul wrote, but others wrote as well, a lot of them are written in such a way that you think, what was wrong with these churches? Like they were just in a mess all the time. And the reason that they were in a mess all the time and that they had to sort out these basic issues was because they were growing so fast, because of this result of uh, multiplication of people coming to faith, of new converts discipling new converts. There was this mess, and so Paul was quickly writing letters to all these churches and all these people that were coming to faith and people on the discipleship journey just like, remember, you've got to leave your old way behind and, and come to, to live this way. You can't worship other idols and Jesus. It's just Jesus. Like, giving him things that would be like, surely you would have got that by now, like, you're a church. But this was the result of the multiplication movement. And this is how Jesus set up the church. And I think that's how he wants us to continue the church, is not educate people or, or, or disciple people for such a long time that then finally, 10 years later, now you're ready to disciple someone else. But rather, ready as we are, growing as we go. We grow as we put into action the discipleship model. And I think it's a shame that in our Western Christianity, we've come to normalize living a life where we don't disciple people to faith and in faith um, and we're okay with it. Or maybe we're not okay with it, but it's sort of just an unspoken thing. It's like, well, we just, it's too hard, it's too complicated, people aren't ready to hear it, we can't Bible bash people. There's heaps of excuses. But I think when we read this gospel and we read these parables and we see what Jesus says through the Great Commission, we can't ignore it. So I want to encourage us and challenge us to be a church that where it's normal for people to be discipled, where it's normal that everyone is discipling people and it's normal that we're seeing new people who are coming to faith or maybe even before they come to faith, they're discipling other people. They're taking people on a journey where as soon as you hear about this message, as soon as you hear about the good news, you begin telling it to others. Anyone can open God's word and hear his voice and live in obedience to it. I think as soon as you can read, you can do this. As soon as you can understand the gospel, you can do this. You can, SBC kids, this is for you. If you're still listening, well done for making it this far. If you're still listening, this is for you. This is not just for grown-ups. Ignite Tribe, this is for you. This is not just for those that are adults or over 18 or done Bible college or been in church for five years at least. This is for everyone. Open God's word, listen and obey. 
listen to God's voice, obey what he says. This is what we can do personally, but more than that, this is what we can do with each other and with those that are outside the faith. What is God saying? What are you going to do? Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can listen to it and we can obey it. And God, I pray that this word, uh, for some of us it might be very challenging, for some of us it might be really encouraging, God, that it would take root in our heart and God, we would put it into action. God, would you help us to be a church where discipleship is normal? Where it's normal that everyone is making disciples, where it's normal that everyone is discipling other people. God, so that when people come in and when people see us and encounter us, that they grow in faith as a result. And God, we pray that we would be a church that sees this huge harvest, that sees 30, 60, or even 100 times what we're sowing. So God, use us and bring the good news to others through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning online. Have a great Sunday. Maybe send a text to someone or give someone a call. Let them know that you're thinking of them and praying for them. And uh, hopefully we'll see some of you here in the building next Sunday. Uh, Have a great week.